He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Now what's it? Everything. Everything. All the powers of the farthest starry heavens. All the depths of the world that we cannot see. The deep ends of the particles that they claim can change our DNA and turn us into everlasting beings in this world. All the animals, all the trees, all the world, all of you, all of your sin, all of your failings, all of your shame. He disarmed it. He took his power away. He nailed it to the cross in his own beautiful hands and feet. Paul in Colossians chapter 2 is encouraging this little backwoods congregation that's out of the way and doesn't have a lot of stake in the powers of the world. He's encouraging them to walk in the faith that they have received. And by that, he doesn't mean the superpower within you to believe in whatever you want and make it come to pass. By that, he means the knowledge of the mystery of God delivered in Jesus Christ, which is the greatest wisdom that has ever been. Just as you received it, he says, which means by grace, for faith in the faith, just as you received it, so walk. And then he also begins to warn them. Don't let anyone take it from you. They're going to try. They're going to try. One of the things about St. Paul that sometimes I worry about. Is that we don't have enough going on. Now, I don't actually worry about it. I think that the fantastic amount of worship and Bible study that we have going on at St. Paul is exactly what a church is supposed to be doing. But, but I worry that somewhere out there, one of you is worried that we don't have enough going on. We need more of something. I don't know what it is. I know it's not Bible study and it's not worship. It's some other thing. And I worry that somewhere you think that if we're really going to be the church, if we're really going to impact the world, then we have to do this other thing. But Paul is here this morning to warn us, don't let anyone ever make you think you need anything other than Jesus' word to be his church. Now, don't get me wrong. His word says you should look out for the poor. Take care of them. It says you should forgive each other. It says you should bear with each other. It says parents, you should teach your children. It says a lot of things. But without that being the thing that is the word that we live under, if we define ourselves as some other thing, that other thing eventually will capture our minds and destroy us. Most idols these days, as I said a moment ago, are not statues that you set up and bow down to. They are often, though, the work of your hands that you put your trust in to give yourself value. And that value might be a really long life. That value might be riches and enjoyment. That value might be the development of something that will outlast you. It really doesn't matter. 
It's all been nailed to the cross. It's all dead. Which is the unique power you have as a Christian. To use things that you know perish with their use. As if that's okay. As if you don't have to grab on so tight and try to make it last forever. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the biggest name. You don't have to be beautiful and cool and strong and better than everyone else. You can just be who you are. Bought with a price. Paid for by the blood. Walking through the wilderness toward a promised land that you know he already is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. He is risen in order to be and make for you. It's strength. That's peace of conscience. That's power of will in an age where everyone is running hectic and too tired and lost and filled with despair and anxiety. Christianity is different. And if we don't know that, it's only because we've forgotten and need to then hear the warning of St. Paul, don't let anyone steal it from you. Remember what you received. He nailed it to the cross. Colossians chapter 2 starts on page 983 of your pew Bible. If you've got your own Bible, of course, that's the most awesome thing you can do. Bring your Bible to church. I suppose you're only slightly more awesome if you also still bring your hymnal, your own personal hymnal. That's pretty cool, too. But if you got your Bible, Colossians chapter 2, we're going to look at a, a few of these verses this morning. We won't hit quite all of them. We're going to start with verse 2. Excuse me. Um, yes, verse 2, which is in the middle of a sentence, but I, I'm not so concerned about the whole sentence. I just want you to see that phrase, um, that their hearts may be encouraged. So Paul is talking about people who haven't met him yet, and he wants people who haven't met him yet to hear this. He wants their hearts to be encouraged. How? Being knit together in love. That sounds nice. right? That, that we would knit together with each other, be interlinked and chained to each other in love. How? Now it says there, to reach all the riches. The Greek doesn't even say that. It just says, into the wealth. We would be knit together in love into the wealth of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God, Christ. Now, there's two lines there that line up, okay? The wealth of the assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God. Those are the same thing. I'm going to say it one more time. The wealth of the assurance of understanding and the knowledge of the mystery of God. And both of those things are Jesus Christ. Him, not you. He, not us. God, as man, for us, to be sure. But outside of you, your king, your lord, your master. Again, he bought you with a price. He is then the wealth of assurance, of understanding, huh? so that you in your mind would know with full confidence that there is something that is valuable. And then this is the knowledge of the mystery of God. That is that God has hidden from the world the fact that you can't justify yourself, but you know it now. 
The fact that you can't prove yourself to him, but you know it now. The fact that you can't beat death on your own, but you know it now. And that mystery, that assurance, it is Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, born of a virgin, suffered under Pilate, murdered on the cross, risen because they couldn't contain him, ascended and in charge right now. Verse 4 says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Right? Don't let anyone take it from you by saying things that seem right. Uh, maybe you've heard about this, this slippery slope fallacy. You ever hear about this? It's when you say something like, well, if we let them do this evil thing, then before too long, it'll be this worse evil thing. And they go, that's the slippery slope fallacy. You're not supposed to say that. You know what? The slippery slope fallacy is a clever argument. And if you let them just assert that you're not allowed to say it because they think they're smart, you're not going to be able to say much very long. And in fact, you're going to slide down the slope right off the edge with the rest of the lemmings. The way that we have come to the place where we are in our society and culture today, where we do not know the meaning of words like woman and man anymore, has been by small, small gains. Bit at a time, piece at a time, they have destroyed knowledge and taken it away. And make no mistake, it really isn't about marriage. It really isn't about manhood and maleness and fatherhood. It's really about the fatherhood of God. And the sonship of Jesus Christ. By slow deception, they have stolen from what was a predominantly Christian country, our soul. And now they act as if you're insane for wondering why and how it happened. Again, I say this so that no one may delude you with clever arguments. Look at verse 6. For me. Next page in your pew Bible. Therefore, right, so that you would not be deceived. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. I said a moment ago, and I want to emphasize it here. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Let me shout it. By grace, as a free gift. He didn't do nothing. It showed up. He showed up and grabbed you as you received him. So now walk. Walk under grace. Walk in the knowledge that God is for you, not against you. Walk in the knowledge that you are set apart and chosen. Walk as one who is immortal now because of who your God is. So walk. Which then means, verse 7, to be rooted and built up in him. In Christ Jesus. Say his name sometime this week. Shout an alleluia when something goes right or wrong. Remember that to not take the name of the Lord in vain doesn't mean to never say anything about him. It means that you can call on him in every trial and trouble. Pray and give thanks in all things. You have an actual God. And he's listening to you. Huh? Rooted and built up in him and then see it established in, notice the definite article, the word the, established in the faith. 
Not established in your heart. Not established in your feelings. Not established in what you'd like to be true. Established in the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. You might as well write the word scripture there. Established in your Bible. Established in the story of Jesus and the Gospels. Established in the history and the lore of Israel. The one for whom God fights. Established in the revelation of God the Holy One. The Ancient of Days. The Maker of All and the Buyer Back of You. Walk in that knowledge. And it doesn't mean you got to take calculus. It doesn't mean you got to be able to figure out every theory there ever was. But I think it does mean you have to love the story. And you want to talk about deception these days. You want to know how we're distracted from the Bible's knowledge. There's just too many good stories out there. Too many stories that we give our hearts and our minds to, and we don't think it means much because, honestly, one of them won't kill you. But the problem is we're drowning in stories. And it's not even that bad. Like, you can sail through this ship of stories, but you got to be in the boat that's the real story. The thing that has ruined Christian churches the most in the last 20 years, not the last 100, the last 20 years is we stopped reading our Bibles. That's why I've been such a, I don't know, a jerk about it here at St. Paul. Like every week, we're going to open this Bible. We're going to read it again. Why? Because I want you to be able to do it at home. Not just able. I want you to want to. Just a little. To know that it's your anchor in the storm. Now, I get it. You get into Leviticus chapter 19. You don't know what's going on. Well, then don't read it straight through. Pick a book you know and read it again and again and again. What's the worst thing that could happen? You might memorize it. Well, that'd be terrible, wouldn't it? No, it'd be amazing. So pick a book and live in it for a while. Of course, Sons of Solomon, the packets you can pick up, the Daughters of Wisdom ones are almost here. By the end of this month or next, they'll be here. This is a way to start living in the Psalms, living in the Proverbs. Believing that the prayers of Jesus and the wisdom of the man of peace are there to establish you firm in the faith. But there's more. I mean, you could live in the Gospel of John for a long time or pick Mark. I don't know. Again, rooted and established in the faith means to have the Bible be what you know more than anything else. I'm not talking about passing tests. I'm talking about feeding your soul. All right, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there are four things there that are all not Jesus. And the thing is, none of them are actually bad, except for when they set themselves against Jesus. Well, maybe I'm wrong. One's bad. Empty deceit is bad. Philosophy, though, is the word in the Greek, philosophia, uh, is two words, philos, which means love of your brother, and sophos, which means wisdom. Love of wisdom. I know when you took philosophy in college, didn't feel like a love of wisdom. I get it. It was a bunch of names and a bunch of ideas that kind of didn't even make sense, and they were just arguing with each other. True. Okay. But philosophy in the best sense, and love to be able to think straight, 
to be able to understand when someone's lying to you or pulling something over your head. Indeed, to pursue being wise, which means to be able to see. But at the same time, philosophy is very good at making clever arguments. And it certainly is not what Christ is ultimately about. I mean, indeed, there is a wisdom in Christ that we learn to love. But the foolishness of the cross, the God who is crucified and therefore is powerful, and that doesn't really jive with most people's view of philosophy. Empty deceit, you could really hear that as just this life, the appearance of things, the desire to have it good now. I mean, it's pretty clear the best meal you could possibly buy, you think of it, what is it? The best meal, the thing you want to eat most in the world, doesn't matter how much money, escargot, that's fine. It just, we'll put it before you and then what? 20 minutes later, where is it? It's gone, right? It's not that it was bad, but it isn't enough. It isn't actually fulfilling. It perishes with its use. So again, the point here is don't let such things mean more than the story of Jesus Christ and the knowledge that he is your God and the fact that he is for you and not against you and walking you through the darkness into his marvelous light, which shall never end. It then talks about human tradition here. This means things handed down by men, like literally things handed down by men. I'll tell you, I, I, I asked this question recently to someone um, when he was complaining about traditions, not here. This was at the youth event I went to a while back. And he, he was like, human traditions are bad. And I'm like, um, don't you brush your teeth? He said, no. <laughs> I said, you should. <laughs> uh, you're right. and we got dentists in the congregation too. I mean, they're both like, you know, I get it. You should. But here's the thing. Brushing your teeth two times a day is a tradition of men. It's a good one. It will help protect your teeth from decay. You know, that's all. The point here is not that tradition is bad. The point here is that tradition is not the word of God. The word of God is something bigger, better, more. And the moment you start setting your traditions against the word of God, you got a problem. Pastor, I couldn't come to church this morning. I had to brush my teeth. Problem. Yeah, problem. And it's, it's, it's goofy, but, but I hope you see the point. So traditions of men, they're not bad to have traditions, but it's bad to be taken captive by them. Pastor, we've always done it this way. What do you mean? Oh, we, we don't commune every week because it wouldn't be special. You know what? That's a tradition of man and a plausible argument wrapped into one. Because the apostles, they met in Acts chapter 2 every week for the supper. So why would we not do what God's word says and instead give it over to our opinions? See, that, that's what he's warning against. And then finally, I love this part. It says elemental spirits of the world. The word spirits isn't there in the Greek. It, it's, it's very directly the elements of the cosmos. And what it has in mind here, I mean, earth, wind, fire, water is what it means. It doesn't mean like carbon, right? It means earth, wind, fire, water. The, the archetypal principles of what makes the world the world. Again, these, these things are real. Honestly, if, if you're not trying to build a nuclear bomb and you're just trying to live in in the world, earth, wind, fire, water, very important concepts, right? You're living in your hut, you got a farm, you need the rain, gotta have the fire going, gotta know how to deal with the soil, and geez, that wind, I mean, you gotta have a house to protect you from it. Yeah. 
So these things make sense. The thing is, don't let anyone use them to take away from you what you know to be true in Christ. Okay, I spent a little too much time on this verse, so we're going to keep on going forward. In Christ, verse 9, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what of earth, wind, fire, water? What of human tradition? What of uh, eating a nice steak? What of philosophy? In that man nailed to the cross who beat death, God lives forever. It changes everything. And that you belong to him now changes everything for you. Now, I'm going to go past this bit about Jesus being God and assume that we've got that one taken care of here at St. Paul and jump up to verse 11. I'm going to read all the way from 11 through 14 because, well, here's a fascinating thing. In him, this Jesus who is God, in him also you, plural, all of you, were circumcised. That means to cut the foreskin off of the penis. At age eight or so, eight, eight days or so, as part of the covenant of the Old Testament. Okay. All of you were circumcised, he says. Oh, lost the verse. There it is. With a circumcision made without hands. So you're circumcised, but I'm not talking about circumcision. Then he goes on. By putting off the body of the flesh, well, if you imagine what I just said about circumcision, it's literally taking off part of the flesh. But he's talking about something more here now. He's talking about the flesh of sin, yeah? The broken condition that we've inherited from Adam, putting off that body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, this doesn't just mean the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day, although it does mean that too. He kept the law from you. But what do you think is happening at the cross? The body of flesh is being dealt away with. The sin which deeply entangles and holds mankind down is being cut off. That's the circumcision of Christ. And then you have had that. It says, verse 12, having been buried with him as he died. Notice it in baptism. Now, the New Testament doesn't talk about baptism that much. It's there like 20 times, 25, you know, put the book of Acts in there. Doesn't talk about it all the time. But when it does, it's kind of marvelously insane what it says. It's a little water and the promise to me that I'm a disciple in Jesus now. And it says you have been buried with him in that water. In which, you're not done yet, you, plural, all y'all together, you were also raised with him. Well, pastor, isn't that salvation by works? No, it says through faith. It's the next line. The baptism is a promise that's there for you to believe. And you believing that you are baptized into Christ is to be actually already raised with him. Trusting then in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead. So baptism into Christ is to be given the promise that Jesus' death and resurrection is now yours. This cuts off your flesh like a knife through skin. Hmm? Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh... 
uncircumcision has just got to be about the weirdest English word I could imagine. It's not what it says in the Greek. It, we're just too polite as, as Americans even now. It's, it's foreskin. You who were dead in the trespasses and foreskin of your flesh. God made alive together with Jesus. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses, right? I talked about this last week. Forgiveness is the word divorce. It means to send away. It means to divide. It means to never let it come together again. That's what he's done to your sin by, verse 14, canceling the record of debt that stood against you. Where have you failed? Where have you earned that shame? Where have you hated? Where have you raged? Where have you taken what's not yours? You canceled it. All the legal demand, all the justice of needing to pay him back, all the wrath that you deserved, this he set aside, and here it is, nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Verse 15 says, this also took the demons away. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. That's the demons, the principalities and powers of the present darkness, the, the hidden liars and their great game of deceit by which they have subjugated mankind to be nothing more than wicked versions of themselves. They've been disarmed. They have no power over you now. They've been put to open shame. Their wisdom, which says you must be clever, you must be smart, you must be wise, you must find your own way, you must prove yourself. It got nailed to the cross. And there, the wisdom of God killed me, and that means he loves me, becomes something Christians can say. Because in your baptism, God killed you. And that means he loves you. So that even when you will die someday, it's coming. You can say, I'm dying because Jesus loves me. I will not despise the chastisement of Jesus. I will rise again from this dead. Yes? Triumphing over those demons in him. End of the verse. Jump to verse 20. So if with Christ you died, I would prefer to say since, if and since are the same word in Greek, and I don't know why, I do know why. The reason the English always says if is because we're filled with doubt, that's why. But I'd rather be filled with trust. And so I'll believe that since with Christ you died, that's what he just told us, since you died to those elemental spirits of the world, same thing, elements of the cosmos, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping, stopping the indulgence of the flesh. That's the end of our chapter. There's more coming next week. But what he's asking is, okay, so, so since you're alive now, since you woke up, why do you treat the world as if it's so important? Now, I mean, let, let me tell you, okay? Um, if you live a certain way, you'll probably live longer than if you don't. We don't have to debate what that means. Huh? It could be food, it could be exercise, it could be rest, it could be grounding. I don't, it could be all sorts of things. 
Why does it matter? Why do you want to live longer? I'm not saying it's wrong to live longer. I'm saying if you don't know why, there's a good chance you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Because the world wants to take your mind captive with the belief that staying alive longer is its own good just by itself. If all that matters is one more day of watching daytime TV, all that matters is one more meal out. At least I got one more meal out. Thank goodness I went through all of that. Why? Why do you submit to that? Why do you let it control you? That's his question. And again, this isn't here to make you say, well, golly, I must not be a Christian since I let these things control me. No, this is the fight. This is going to be the fight the rest of your life. To see that the idols that press in against you, the things that try to convince you that they matter, they don't. And day by day, awakening again to believe that and say, all right, Lord Jesus, I give it up to you. All right, Lord Jesus, I'll trust in you. All right, Lord Jesus, I'll let it go. So that, again, you can die differently than other people. You can die with your head held up. You can die with your heart strong. You can die knowing that this is not the end of you. So when the doctors say, well, you got to do this or you'll die, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm actually cool. Or for your younger people, when they say, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, if you don't do this, you won't have a good life. You can be like, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have an okay life. Like, I know the secret of being content. No matter what comes, I know who my God is, and I'm convinced that he's going to provide for my steps every way. All the way through this veil of tears. And, and the worst thing I can do is think that I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this, or life won't be good. The worst thing I can do whatever those things may be. Now, again, this doesn't mean traditions are bad. This doesn't mean wisdom is bad. It doesn't mean learning how the world works is bad. It just means don't confuse it with your religion. Your religion is that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And in this, then, everything that could stand against you, he is nailed to the cross. He is buried with you in himself. And indeed, he has given you the promise that this life will never end. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Amen.